Well, today's passage puts a, a lot of focus on the topic of church leadership, particularly the office of pastor or elder. Now, when you hear this, you might be tempted to check out and think, okay, this isn't going to really relate to me, but let me encourage you not to do so. Uh, you know, don't start thinking about your plans after service. If that hand is going to your phone, go ahead and put it down for the time being, okay? Because I want to assure you that this passage actually does relate to you. Um, to start, everything in Scripture relates to God's people, whether it's directly addressed to you or not. So all of Scripture matters, amen? But more particularly, leadership matters greatly. Leadership matters in all of life, doesn't it? We know that leadership matters, whether it's talking about the home, talking about you know work and business, or whether we're talking about government. God has made such a world that leadership matters immensely, and it matters, of course, in the church. And sadly, uh, probably everybody has heard of or witnessed different occasions in church life when leaders have gone off the rails and it's caused hardship to that church, right? But on the positive side, hopefully everyone has benefited from leaders, church leaders in their life who have served well by loving God and loving people. Amen? I was thinking about in my lifetime uh, about some former pastors, okay? So I became a Christian when I was 21 years of age. And I remember the first church that I became a part of. And I remember the pastor there, Ron Boswell. And the church was very large. But I was encouraged that the pastor actually noticed me, actually, you know, connected with me in the midst of being a brand new Christian, didn't know the first thing about the Bible, and he connected with me. That was a neat thing in my life. In North Carolina, a little bit later, I sat under Pastor Andy Davis for just a few months, but was so blessed by his preaching as he really opened up the riches that are found in God's word, right? And once I, I saw that, that is great. And I would say, even to this day, I, I still try to emulate what I saw in him of someone who wants to feed the flock so that people hear and learn God's word. Then it went on down to Louisville, okay? And Todd Robertson and his wife, Kim, happily welcomed two new members into their church, a young guy named Brian Sims and his fiancee, Angela Rivers. And then they walked us through premarital counseling, we had a lot to learn, especially Angela. <laughs> and in my counseling, I still reference those sessions that we had. Also in Louisville, I was a church planting intern at an inner city church plant. And I worked under a gentleman by the name of Robert Thomas, Pastor Robert. He and I were Good friends enjoyed just driving around and visiting people and greatly enjoyed each other's company. And Robert went on to ordain me for pastoral ministry. 
asked Angela about her former pastor. She said that she has sat under some wonderful pastors, including the well-known John MacArthur from California. But she had one pastor in particular who made a real impact on her life. Her dad. Her dad. He passed down a wonderful legacy and an example of someone who truly loved the Lord and sought his favor and his will for his life. Leaders matter. Leaders matter. So church, we should know what God desires for leaders and why that matters and how you can pray for them. And speaking as a church leader, yes, I definitely and all church leaders need your prayers. So I hope that this message will impact all of us as we hear from God's word this morning. So please turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 as we continue our series on this letter. The apostle Peter wrote to a group of churches in Asia Minor sometime in the mid-60s AD. We have one more message after today. Last time, Peter wrapped up his discussion about the church going through persecution and suffering in a way that brings glory and honor to God. And so now we switch over to chapter 5 here. And it's not clear, as Peter talks now about leaders, it's not clear if maybe Peter's just, you know, moving to a different topic altogether in his letter or if there's a connection in his mind. Perhaps there is. Because as churches go through persecution or as churches go through difficult, stressful times, oftentimes it is the leaders who feel the brunt of those hardships and they need God's strength to carry them through the leadership as strength to guide the church in the midst of those difficult days. So the first part of our passage is Peter's exhortation to leaders. Peter's exhortation to leaders Let's read verse 1 together. He writes, So I exhort the leaders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So Peter writes, who does he write to there? What does he say? To the elders of the church. Now that word elder is one of three titles that are used in the New Testament to speak of those who carry the primary leadership of the church. The other two titles are pastor and overseer, but they're all referring to the one and the same office, okay? Now, for example, in Titus 1.5, Paul addresses the leaders as elders. Then in verse 7, he calls the same group of people overseers, okay? Same group of people different titles. You see the same overlap here in our passage. Look down again with me in our passage. Verse 1, again, Peter calls the group of leaders here elders, and then in verse 2, he tells them to what? Shepherd the church. The word shepherd is where we get the title pastor. And then in verse 2 also, he says that they were to exercise oversight, which is where we get the word what? Overseer, okay? Right? So all three titles, elder, pastor, or overseer, sometimes it's translated bishop, but those three titles all refer to the same office, okay? So it's one office with three different titles. 
By the way, some denominations will have a bishop who will oversee a group of churches, all right? As a denomination, we don't do that because I think from what we see here, it's clear that there is one office with three different titles. Does that make sense? I wasn't very convincing, but we'll, we'll just have to move forward. I hope that made sense, okay? But speaking about bishops, our church does not have a bishop. It has the bishop, John Bishop. And I just wanted, <laughs> I wanted to say a word of appreciation to this man. We are so grateful to this guy right here. He is the chairman of the board of directors at Acts 4, but he is out there yesterday lifting heavy furniture, not as heavy as I was lifting. <laughs> just kidding. He was out there with the couch lifting heavy furniture, talking to people, praying with them, loving them. That's a great leader. And we know all that John does also in our church. So John, we're very blessed to have you here at our church, the bishop. <laughs> Thankful to God for you. So he writes to the elders, pastors, overseers. Notice also that he speaks of a plurality of leaders. There's not just one pastor or elder, but a plurality. There are about two different or two dozen instances in the New Testament where leaders are mentioned, and they're mentioned in the plural. They're all throughout the churches, whether it's a, you know all throughout the Roman Empire, all different locations. It's always a plurality of leaders. Some of these churches were primarily Jewish Christians. Some of them were primarily Gentile Christians. He always speaks to them with a plurality of leaders. Paul does this. Peter does this. James does this. Luke does this. Luke writes in Acts 14, 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church. You say, Pastor, why are you belaboring this? Because I do think it matters. God's word always matters. And I believe practically this is very significant for the church because when there is a plurality of leadership, it protects the church from a one-man show. Where the one-man show is very tempted to get filled with pride. And the one-man show also will not have accountability, which every person needs, especially in leadership. And it, expect, and it also protects the pastor from the expectation that he will do everything. And at least one person in the room will say amen to that. <laughs> Yours truly. Now, Peter not only exhorts the elders, but he also identifies himself as a fellow elder. That's fascinating because Peter, we know he's an apostle. He calls himself an apostle in the very first verse, doesn't he? And we know the apostles, this was the chosen group of 12 men that Jesus selected, didn't he, to carry out his message and to establish the church. But Peter also says, you know what, I'm an elder too. Very uh, fine mark of humility on Peter's, on his behalf there. Apostle John does the same thing in his letters where he calls himself an elder, though he was an apostle. Lastly, Peter mentions that he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He saw what Jesus went through during his life and his ministry and his betrayal. Perhaps it's not discussed in the Gospels, but maybe he saw Jesus on the cross there when he was suffering. 
And as Peter points out, though, that's not the end of the story, right? There's glory ahead. There was glory waiting for Jesus. He suffered, and then he rose again from the dead. Now he reigns in glory. And we've been seeing the same thing again, haven't we, in this letter, that there is this pattern of suffering and then glory. Amen? And so Jesus experienced this, uh, and, and Peter was waiting for this one day, and all of God's people will experience this glory when Jesus returns again. And that's what we're waiting for. So this was his exhortation to the leaders. Now we get to the responsibility of leaders, the responsibilities of leaders. Verses two and three. Shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So to start there, Peter tells the leaders to shepherd the flock of God, which of course is a metaphor for the people of God. It was used of Israel in the Old Testament. Now it's being used here in the New Testament. And Jesus, as we're going to see a little bit later in the passage, he's the chief shepherd. But by God's design, he also puts in place leaders to shepherd the flock. Okay? You say, well, what are they supposed to be doing? And this is where Peter dives into their responsibilities. And notice that Peter focuses a lot on their character. Their character. That might run contrary a lot of times to our culture and day and age when we think about leadership. We instantly think about, okay, where did you go to college? Where, what degrees do you have? How smart are you? How charismatic are you? We look at competency where the Bible looks a lot at character, doesn't it? I want you to read with me 1 Timothy chapter 3 where Paul talks about the same thing about character and leadership. When he was talking about if someone wanted to be a leader in the church, this is the kind of life that they should have. He says in verse one of 1 Timothy three, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, Able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So you see there, Peter gives, a, or excuse me, Paul gives a lot more discussion, but don't you see a lot of overlap between them, right? When you're talking about what is expected of a leader in the church, there's a lot of focus on their character. Competency is great, but character is more important. Going back to Peter, he gives three sets of contrast, and they show how a leader should and should not lead. First, leaders should follow God's direction. So on the negative side, Peter points out there that this isn't about doing your own thing as a pastor or leader in the church. You're not supposed to just feel like doing whatever you want to do. You need to be careful as a leader to follow God's word because ultimately, who is the leader accountable to? The Lord, right? Yeah, there's a certain level of accountability to the church, but ultimately it matters that you're accountable to God. Hebrews 13, 17 
says this, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That's very sobering if you're a leader. It should be at least. And I gotta tell you, there's an enormous amount of pressure always on leaders to conform to the standards and the desires of the world. Pressure to avoid certain topics that you know might make people upset, but they're in the Bible. Pressure, pressure to focus more on entertainment than truth that transforms people. Pressure to avoid hard leadership decisions where it'd be a whole lot easier just to say, you know what, we'll let that one go. But you know what God's word says. Personally, I feel the weight of this pressure. I feel the weight of it. But leaders must stay true to Scripture. And as a church, we should always have that as our standard. Because if churches lose that, then it won't be long until that church will drift away. If human standards become the ultimate guidepost, it won't take long until the culture moves that church away from what God has for it. Leaders should follow God's direction. Second, some, it says leaders should serve with proper motives. On the negative side, leaders should not be greedy. 1 Timothy 3 that we read mentioned that leaders should not be lovers of money. For Titus 1.7 says that they shouldn't be greedy for gain. Greed hurts a leader's testimony. Plus, if they're greedy, it's going to put temptation in their life because money might come their way. And it's just a wise rule of thumb that leaders should not handle money. So rather than serving out of greed, leaders should serve out of eagerness. Yeah, they should actually want to do what they do, right? Not like, hey, we got to fill a spot here. <laughs> they should want to lead. They should have a passion and a zeal to want to lead. You're serving the king of kings. You're, you're, you're trying to advance the kingdom of God. What could be more important? You don't want someone who is in a leadership role, who is ambivalent, who doesn't care. It is hard enough if you're really zealous. If you don't really have your heart in it, you're going to quickly fade away. Now, as a leader, there's a natural, there should be a natural reservation thinking, I have a lot of weaknesses. And I know there's a lot of time and energy involved in this. Maybe I shouldn't do it. But you know what? That's actually a good thing in my mind. Because it shows that you depend on God, right? Not in your own strength. That God is the one who's going to carry you and do this. So then thirdly, Peter says leaders should set an example. On the negative side, Peter says he doesn't want the leaders to be domineering. Again, Paul said that in 1 Timothy 3, that they're not to be quarrelsome. They're not to be violent. And as a leader, there is a temptation to take advantage of your authority. To go beyond the bounds of your authority. 
to not use the God-given channels that are there to overstep your bounds. Or you can try to sometimes take it personal with people. Maybe there's a personality difference. Maybe there's a theological difference. Or maybe there's a past hurt. And there can be a temptation to want to overstep your bounds. But Paul, Peter says, rather than domineering, God expects leaders to set an example. And when we think about setting an example, who is it that we go to? We go right to Jesus, don't we? God in human flesh, all authority, all power, all might, but yet was a servant leader, wasn't he? Matthew 20, 25 to 28, Jesus said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. For many. So we've seen here how should leaders carry out their responsibilities? Leaders should follow God's direction, serve with proper motives, and set an example. Third part Peter talks about is the reward of leaders. He says in verse 4 And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now he's talking, of course, here about Jesus, the chief shepherd. Jesus said about himself in John's gospel, he said these words, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Hebrews 13, 20, Jesus is identified as the great shepherd. He is the ultimate leader, amen? He is the head of the church. And so if he delegates authority to leaders in the church, they are all just serving him, just like everybody is serving him. And no leader has any kind of lengthy tenure, right? All of our leadership as leaders is just a little bit of time, isn't it? There's only one who serves forever in that role. So what do leaders receive? What does it say there? Jesus will give them the crown of glory. In the Greco-Roman world, leafy crowns were given to athletes. You know, the laurel wreath. There's a picture that I don't know if it made it up there or not, but that was a crown that someone might wear, right? Athletes, military heroes, they would wear those crowns. And those crowns in that day and age, that was a big honor to put one of those on. But those things were not uh, the same thing, were they? Because why? They all perish, don't they? He said, well, it's just because it's leafy and it'd fade away. You know, it, it, even if it was an Olympic gold medal, as wonderful as that would be, Eventually, it loses its significance. It might be significant for you or a few loved ones, but outside of that, people don't know why that is important. Even after just a few weeks, can you name an Olympic medalist, you know, from uh, two or three Olympics ago? We can't think of those things. It all fades away. But this crown is different. It's an imperishable crown. Now, it's unclear. Uh, there's a little bit of debate about whether this is a special reward for leaders or just another reference to eternal life. There's five other New Testament passages that speak about us receiving crowns, and they all speak about eternal life. But regardless, regardless, no leader is going to be cheated if, of reward if they faithfully serve the Lord. Because you know what, friend? He is the only one that matters when it comes right down to it, isn't it? And you will have his lasting approval for the rest of eternity. That is what leaders should be motivated by. Can I speak personally to you for a moment? 
Let me encourage you to pray for church leaders here at our church and elsewhere. We should always be praying for church leaders. But I think particularly now it's become more critical. Reading this past week, some statistics just came out from Barna Group, which is a, a, you know, a kind of like Gallup amongst Christian organizations and so forth. Anyway, they conducted a survey of 500 plus senior pastors in Protestant churches, okay? From their survey, guess what percentage is, quote, seriously considering leaving full-time ministry? Seriously considering, not a bad Sunday, right? Seriously considering leaving full-time ministry. 42%. That is a very high number. And it's up from 29% just the year before. That's a huge change, isn't it? You say, well, what's going on with some of these pastors? Well, here's what they say, the top reasons they're considering leaving. The immense stress of the job, 56%, feeling lonely and isolated, 43%, and current political divisions, 38%. David Kenneman, he's the CEO of Barna, he says, quote, intense leadership challenges of the past two years, such as congregational divisions over the pandemic, politics, social unrest, and building digital ministry from scratch continue to weigh heavily on pastors. And it goes without saying that Satan loves to take down leaders, doesn't he? Because he knows the ripple effect, not that they're better than other people, but he knows the ripple effect is larger, right? If you take out a leader. So pray for your leaders, that they will serve with godly character, and they will keep persevering with God's reward in mind, not just the human temporal rewards, which might fade and and cause them to lose heart and grow discouraged, but to keep serving the chief shepherd when he returns with his crown of glory. Amen, church? One last part here, the need for humility the need for humility. Let's read verse five together. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So he's speaking to those who are younger. uh, You know, again, not totally clear here, but he's probably referring to younger men who are less likely to listen uh, to their leaders. Don't take offense there, but it's probably what he's referring to in the context. By the way, in this culture, you were considered young until you turned 40. So once you hit 40, you were old. So that's why a lot of people perhaps love to get stuck on 39 with their birthdays, right? How old are you? 39. I thought you were that five years ago, right? So when you're 40, you're old. But anyway, Peter says that younger people should submit to their leaders. Of course, this is not a blind submission. As long as those leaders are teaching and living out biblical truth, then there should be a willingness to follow those leaders. Taking a step back just for a second, do you guys see, I think, what I, what I would consider a beautiful reciprocity here in the relationships between the church and the leaders? As for leaders, God gives them authority to lead, but they're to serve, not domineer, amen? As for the church, 
God expects them to submit to the leaders as long as the leaders follow scripture and their beliefs and conduct. And both of them are seeking the mutual benefit of each other, right? The leaders want to protect and they want to build up and strengthen the church. And the church wants to support and encourage the leaders, knowing that it's a difficult task sometimes. That's what we want to see at our church, amen? Just that beautiful reciprocity that God has in store for the church. Finally, Peter broadens his scope here and speaks to the whole church. Let me read it again. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So everyone, old and young, leaders and congregants, all of them are supposed to be clothed with humility, robe themselves with humility. You say, what's humility? Well, humility is not denigrating yourself. Man, I'm terrible at everything. I have no talents. I stink at all these things. Constantly bashing yourself. That's not humility. That's self-hatred. Humility is different, right? Humility is thinking of others before you. Humility is thinking of others before you. In other words, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? Paul defines it very clearly in Philippians. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So humility is counting others more important than yourself. Now, on a human level, the person that you're talking to or interacting with, they, on a human level, they might have less money, might have less intelligence, might have less charisma, might have less, 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 less than you in every, in every category. But it doesn't matter, does it? You regard them as more important and significant than yourself. Now, Paul is not saying that you don't care about yourself at all. He said that in there. You do care for yourself, but you're making a choice. This isn't just for certain people. It's a choice that you and I make to put other people above ourselves. I think it's kind of easy to see why humility would really be a nice thing in a church, right? I mean... We got a church that's full of humble people. There's going to be a lot of love and a lot of unity. We're going to be fighting over each other, how we can serve each other and bless each other. So we should do it to seek church harmony. But let me give you an even more important reason. God. What did it say there? God opposes the proud. Now, when we hear the word proud, we kind of instantly jump to, you know, the loud mouth guy or girl that's bragging about themselves all the time. I couldn't help but think about when I was a kid when we used to watch professional wrestling. And back in those days, you know, there was Hulk Hogan. There was Randy Macho Man Savage. Anybody remember some of those guys? And they would do interviews with them. And they would come out and they would flex their muscles and they would brag about how great they were and so forth. And I mean, it's very entertaining, isn't it? 
Not so great in real life, right? When we hear people brag about themselves, it's kind of a turnoff, right? But let me also throw one thing out for you. Pride is not just a person who struts around and boasts about themselves. Do you know that? Pride is putting yourself above others. You may not boast about yourself. You may not even think highly about yourself, but the world revolves around who? You. You are the center of the universe, and everything is about you. You're always thinking of yourself, your problems, your desires, your plans, whatever it is, it's always about you. And other people around you basically exist to serve you. That's pride. That's putting yourself above others. And God opposes the proud. Uh-oh, right? So God opposes the proud, those who are boastful, but also those who are self-consumed. But in contrast, God gives what to the humble? Grace. He gives grace to the humble. So I think that should motivate us to seek humility, right? And we can all grow in humility. We can become very humble so that we're proud of how humble we are. Just kidding. Just kidding. You say, well, how do you grow in humility? The best way that I know is to think rightly about God and to think often about God. You say, why would you do that? Because you see, the more often we think about God and the more accurately by accurate, I mean biblically, we think about God, the greater God becomes and the lesser we become. We see God as righteous. We see our sin. We see God as utterly independent, and we are utterly dependent. Think about how you need God. Think about it. You need God for life. You need God for salvation. You need God for ongoing forgiveness. You need God for strength to live out this life. You need God for wisdom. And, and all the things that we do have, any kind of gift or talent that would be something that we excel in, who does that come from in the first place? It comes from God, right? So how on earth can we be proud when we think a lot about God? And how can we not want to bless others when we see how much God blesses us? God gives grace to the humble. Let us strive for humility. Amen? Speaking of humility, you know, earlier we read from Philippians 2, where Paul defined humility as thinking of others as more important than yourself. Paul then goes on to give the, the illustration of the greatest act of humility there ever was. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Because you see, Jesus is fully God, the great I am, creator of all things, yet he became a man. Laid aside that glory, friend. 
that divine glory. He laid it aside. You say, did he stop becoming God? No, he's fully God. God's, God can't stop being God. But he laid aside the prerogatives and the usage and the glory that was rightfully his to become fully a person, right? To become a man. He laid that aside to be fully human. And that wasn't the end of the journey, was it? The journey took him all the way to the cross as he lived a perfect, sinless life to die for our sins. Why did he do that? Because he regarded others as more important than himself. He was willing to go through the the most agonizing uh, treatment, suffering that anyone could possibly endure so that we would be benefited, amen? So that we might be reconciled to God. Jesus did that on our behalf. So let me ask, have you ever embraced Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Not just heard about him, not just maybe read some Bible passages, but actually taken him into your life where you recognize I am a sinner, I need grace, I need forgiveness, and Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be more important than me. That's never happened. Let me encourage you today. You don't have to go through a class. You don't have to sign up for anything. Here in this moment now, you can confess your sins to Jesus Christ and receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. And the Lord embraces you with open arms. and Your life will never be the same. And he will give grace to the humble. Amen? Lord, this morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. As Paul discusses this at the very end there in our passage, Philippians, we see the great humility of Christ. Pray for someone here today that they would trust you as their own Lord and Savior. Follow you to believe your promises. Lord, I also pray today as we've talked a lot about leadership why this matters. Pray you would guard and support leaders here at our church and and other churches around the world. God, I pray that you would raise up leaders. You would lay it on the hearts of people to step up as leaders all around the church, not just pastors and elders, but all around the church. People would see the great joy and privilege of serving you in that capacity. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for this time here in your word. Strengthen and bless your church, we pray. We pray it in the name of our great shepherd, our chief shepherd, the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.